It's hard to feel free when the world is crashing down around us and we're shut up in our homes practicing social distancing. But you don't have to feel trapped. You can write your way to freedom. Welcome to the Right Away Podcast. Hello, friends. Welcome to Right Away. It is May 20th as we are recording this. I'm Chris Kane with my co-host. J.P. Reinflush. Oh, how was your writing, J.P.? It was good. My life is revisions in a positive way, but I have in the past couple of days been doing about three times the amount of revision work that I normally do, which has been really nice. I think part of it is just having that plan in place has made it move way faster. I think I am at this moment two chapters away from the end, and then it's just a little bit of cleanup and off to the editor. And then more revisions for a different book. (laughs) People can't see my invisible chair dance party. Yay! So that's me. And also you had a tragedy this week. I did have a, a minor workout tragedy. Well, I think I've mentioned it on this podcast that I have a standing elliptical. And in the middle of working out, about an hour in, one of the pedals just completely broke off. Just, I almost fell. I am graceful enough to not fall. But I'm just going to attribute it to being more buff as the reason it broke. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, (laughs) I am back from vacation and vacation is in air quotes because we all know that I don't know how to vacate properly. I have such trouble knowing what day it is. Uh, A lot of that's because the kiddo is gone for just another few days and so I don't have my normal schedule. But I am getting stuff done lovely. I've been really back on using Notion as my tracking things to do and that are done. It helps me a lot with my focus. And so I have been moving forward in small steps on a lot of projects. And so it doesn't always feel to my brain like I got a lot done if I don't look at the list because I'm getting a lot done over a lot of things and not moving super far forward on one project. But Notion helps me see, yes, you are moving forward on things that matter. Nice. I have to use Notion at some point like that. But one thing I do have to say is, even though you were on vacation, you still had guilt on showing me what you were up to. And I want to call you out on it because I don't feel like you should feel guilty about being on vacation and showing off where you are. But so many people are stuck. I think that's true, but I love to live vicariously through people. So you can gloat all you want because it was awesome seeing that you were basically living on the water on like stilted property. It was cool. Yes. So my brag here is that I have a friend who manages a beautiful property and I visited them about once a year, except for last year, or they visited where I live. We met when they lived in in Costa Rica in my little town for about a year, about my first year in my little beach town. And they manage a property that used to be on beach, but as water has risen, because climate change, they now live on stilts over water. And so the whole property is basically one giant dock. I just sit at the breakfast table on the dock, looking into the water with the tiny little fishies. And then in the afternoon, when the water's calm, I would hop on a paddleboard and just go out over the reef and look at things and saw the most ginormous sea urchins I've ever seen, like bigger than my head. It was beautiful. Yeah, sounds like a whole world that you could create. 
That's why the fantasy story is based in a tropical area. So I can write all the cool things that I see. Speaking of world building, as JP was trying to lead in so smoothly and I'm awkward. Our topic this week is how do you world build? So I'm just going to start off by asking you, how do you start world building a new thing, JP? Where do you start? So if I don't know where I'm about to go and I don't really have an idea in my head, I remember someone at some point telling me this really cool what if idea where you spend about five to 10 minutes on a timer and you pose the question, what if, and you just write down anything that comes to mind and don't hold back. It could be stupid things. What if pancakes fell from the sky? Something along those lines and just keep going at it. If you specify in a genre, it might help you. So like I did this last night and I was like, what if we colonize Venus instead of Mars? What if we build a Dyson sphere around the sun? All these sci-fi things. And then once your timer is up, pick a handful and start mixing them together, adding and removing, adapting and changing them. Uh, Idea behind this is maybe your first thought isn't always the best thought or the most uh, unique thought, but the thing is your ability to adapt and change those thoughts, that's where the uniqueness comes into play. So when you're in this timer, don't try to be unique, put whatever you want on there. It could literally be the main plot of Battlestar Galactica if you really wanted to, but put it down. And then when you come back to it and you're doing that kind of mixy matchy stuff, that's when you get your unique voice in there. So that's my first step. Question about that. Do you only ask questions or do you answer those questions yet? I think here I'm just posing the what ifs because I Mm -hmm. think there's a sense of wonder that comes with asking what if that may not come when you answer that question. I think right now it's what really sticks out in your mind is like a cool what if question. That's how I like to use this method. There's a couple of different ways that I've gone about this recently. One is Holly Lyle's story seed idea. And that is that you create an object. Just imagine an object. Anything can be a necklace, can be a sword, can be a magical glowing box. And you start describing it physically, only physically, as much as you can. Try and use as many of the senses as you can. And then you start asking who, what, when, where, why about it. At least three of each question. That object may not end up in your story at all, but it spawns like a whole world and a history as you're asking who, what, when, where, why. I really like that. For this last project I did, though, I knew that I wanted, I knew some of the characters I wanted to write, and I knew I wanted to write fantasy. So I started there, some character archetypes. The thing that I think created most of my actual physical world building was I knew that I wanted a capital city in a tropical zone. But I absolutely hate pulling all of that information up from scratch, like creating it from scratch. I would rather someone just plop something down in front of me and say, okay, here's your baseline. I found this amazing fantasy map generator that I've gone all goo goo gaga over that does that. I just kept generating new maps until I found a map that worked for me. And the reason I'm so like cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs over this map is... It allows you to see what the biomes are, what the height elevations are. It even generates interesting world events that could be going on, like a plague over in this area. They're just adding now exports and and goods that are generated for each area. It creates 
politics, religions. It even creates like a little political history of who is friendly. It just creates all of this from scratch. And I'm like, great, I can work with this. You can manually change anything that doesn't fit what you need to tell for your story. And I'm like, yeah, I can just build up a whole bunch of stories from this without having had to draw the dang map myself. And so from that, I generated a lot of story plot line because there's a volcano over here and there's this kind of religion over here. That's for the serial project I'm working on. And I know how that project starts. I know how it ends. I know the major plot points and arcs just from playing with story structure and that map. Did you say what the where that map is? I didn't because I can't physically say the word of the username of the guy who created it, but the link will be in the show notes. It's something like Asgard. Yeah, I don't know. I So I will link it. <laughs> okay. Yeah, no, I love that as well. You When you sent me that, that sparked a ton of ideas. And it's a really good tool to use as a starting off point. Maybe you're not familiar with world building. Maybe you want to just leave a couple of things up to either just randomness or chaos. Another tool that I really like to use is a, a website called vulgarlang.com. It generates a random language based off of choices from it. I really like the concept of how language can influence a culture. And so using this, it helps with the pieces that I maybe don't know because I'm no linguistics uh, expert. But at the same time, what it does is if I want to say a phrase or a sentence, I can put it in their little translator device and I can see what that phrase or sentence would look like in their language. I can start to get an idea as to how that culture would develop or grow based off of the way that they speak. I really like using tools like that because it, it basically the whole point of world building is to create something that happens before and things that happen after the story that you tell. Because the most important thing when we talk about world building is that there are lives lived prior to your protagonist and there are lives lived outside of your protagonist. And when you can include bits and pieces of that information in your story, it makes the entire world feel more rich, feel more alive. Yeah. I'm really glad you brought up the vul vulgar lang because conlang, constructed languages, are something that is on my mind for the next part of this story because my character goes from one country to another where the languages would be different and I had this fun idea and this is one of those things that this tells you more about the culture not just the language where I don't know if this works for the countries that she's going to but it would be it just made me giggle to think of a country who had a lot of fruits but they didn't have unique names for them they literally call them spiky fruit spiky mm -hmm. yellow fruit, spiky white fruit. And the main character just being like, like, what? Why are that just, it makes sense, but it also doesn't make sense. And that culture just happens to be super literal. Like they just, their poetry to everyone else just kind of sounds awkward because it's just super literal. That's one of those points where the language that you world build tells you about the culture. You could have a very flowery speaking people. And this is also character and cultural development where the characters speak very poetically. And that is probably more of a slow moving culture that appreciates beauty and the uh, ritual of things rather than efficiency. Mm-hmm. 
this whole concept of why language is so fascinating and and other pieces around that it stems off of like i listen to a lot of scientific podcasts because i love to get ideas from them so when we're talking about language i know that there's a culture in this world that exists where right and left don't exist the person's positional status doesn't matter and actually what matters in the language is cardinal directions i can tell you that this object is to the north of me but at, at no point can i tell you that this object is to the right or left of me in that language because those words don't exist and i think that's where i really love to grab world building ideas is from these podcasts from stories about cultures that exist in our world that you can stem off and build from what are other tools that you use when you're world building? I'm sciencey and nerdy. If I'm not writing a magic system or maybe I'm going more towards sci-fi, I personally really love to do my research and I really love to use Google Scholar as a tool because I want to go directly to the journals that discuss the topics. One thing I do try, especially if I am searching for information that I have an inkling on, but not and an answer on is I try to check my confirmation bias. I'm not going to say that this is important for everyone writing or world building, but I think that it is important if you want some type of accuracy to it. Because when we search for things like, I'm going to get political here for a fun moment, but if we search for something like, do vaccines cause purple skin, you've already imposed a bias about your opinion as to what that can do. And so the search results are going to look for the keyword purple skin in correlation to vaccine. And it may not actually come up with answers that may be the true results. So instead of something so specific, you can search for things like vaccine side effects, and then you can get reputable sources um, to determine that piece of information. And that's why I also fall back on the Google Scholar or article things when looking for that. I know that I've done this for a couple of people in their world building, especially in post-poc, when you want to answer the question of how much food can actually feed a person or for a certain period of time, or how can I build a greenhouse in post-apocalyptic times and et cetera. I really love doing that kind of stuff. I really love researching that kind of stuff. And I use Google Scholar for that because there are people that did studies for this that I can find and pick apart. So that is my method. Now, when we talk about fantasy or I personally like to delve into a little more like the theological stuff, I really love looking at just other fantasy books. I like Reddit. There is a magic building and a world building subreddit. I really love looking at those and seeing what people are talking about there and just figuring out how I can be same but different because I think that's the key. Yeah, I very often get really overwhelmed if I try and world build too much ahead of time. I am learning that I am very much a character focused or character first authors. And that's not a positive or a negative. It's just, that's the part that interests me the most. Some people are plot focused. Some people are world building focused. I have a dear friend who is very world building focused. They could just play in that all day without any characters specifically. Yeah. I make it mostly a game if I'm just playing with world building. And so some of the questions I'll ask are how do people in this country or this world deal with mundane things. Like how is trash handled 
in this culture? What do they do with it? Is it stinky because no one deals with it? Is it super clean? If it's super clean, how do they manage that? And then also comparison. How is this country different from that country in this mundane thing? Or how are their religions different or the same? And what are the little differences between them? For me, a lot of times comparing highlights those little bits that are important because it's the differences that are interesting. Mm -hmm. When I approach it for writing, I try really hard to not get lost in the weeds because I know that I will get lost in the weeds. So especially with my co-writer, we don't answer all the questions when we start. And we actually let the story develop and ask the questions. And then we would take a moment and we answer those questions together. I think that the key to me for world building is focus on the questions that you need answers to and leave everything else to be answered as it unfolds. Because otherwise you'll totally get lost in the weeds. At least I would. Yeah, I often will world build something at the moment when I need it. So for instance, as I was getting ready to write the first chapter of the serial, I messaged JP and I was like, I'm having trouble with language here because it was very important to me that this culture that my main character is coming from didn't have a gender preference in lineage or just there wasn't really gender privilege in this particular culture, which meant that the titles of the nobility were not gendered. And so I needed to figure out what sounded not weird to me. And JP threw a bunch of words at me. And because I was like, Lord, lady, like those just don't fit. I can make up words, but I've already made up like this naming convention for the nobility. And that's uh, how you know that they are nobility. I think you threw at me overload ruler watcher and I was like watcher actually makes sense because that kind of ties into this vague historical idea I had of the nobility being the watchers over the coastline and being the ones who would rise people to defend against the incoming invaders and I was like okay so they don't really do a whole lot of watching now because their country is the same as the country across the ocean now. Like they're the same. So they don't really have to do a lot of watching now, but that historically makes sense. They still hold on to that name. Boom. World built. World built. You can play on to that and you can say, what are they watching out for? Maybe it wasn't physical anymore. Maybe it's something a little bit deeper than that. I love wordplay. I love mm-hmm. figuring those pieces out because there are so many different approaches you can take that aren't just the standard historical approach to it. That was a moment in your world building process. And as you were writing that, you're like, well, oh, dang it, I need a word for this. And Abe, my co-writer, Abe and I, we were, I think we're on like our fourth book of this series. And we finally hit a point where we're like, okay, we don't necessarily have a fully fleshed out backstory for one of our characters who lives for several thousands of years. And we were like, okay, let's just come up with that now. We trace things back. And as we're tracing it back, like it flowed with everything that we've already talked about with the story and it fit in so perfectly. And I'm not going to say that always happens, but the fact that we were confident enough in our storytelling that when it came time to reach this point in world building, it fit like a perfect puzzle piece that we were just missing until we reached that point that we needed it. And so that's why I... I don't think that you need your whole world built in a concrete fashion before you write. 
sometimes the constraints, as many times as I have cussed myself out for things I have previously written, no longer fit with what I want to write, but I'm held to the previous constraints. They inspire you to be more creative. And sometimes those are the things that readers end up liking the most because you are forced to go beyond the default of what you wanted to write. Yeah. Another tool that I do because I hoard them are RPGs, role-playing games. They are books on an entire world built without really focusing on a story because you create the story. So in that aspect, you can look at books like Dungeons and Dragons or my personal favorites, Invisible Sun, Numenera, I could keep going, but I won't. Or looking at something like the Cypher system, which the last few that I've named are by Monty Cook, but those all have world building features. Some of them are more lax than others to give you more mechanics to a world that you can then build. Whereas some of them are more concrete. Dungeons and Dragons is more or less concrete. And you can use these as starting off points on how you can build a world uh, without feeling completely lost in the weeds. Another tool that kind of goes back to that story seed tool, but it's a little bit different. Just finding something that you really want to put in your story like a talking cat, whatever, and figuring out how it would make sense in your world. Like, I really want to do X, Y, Z. How would it make sense in my world? That's world Mm -hmm. building. Brandon Sanderson has a lot of online videos regarding magic systems and world building. And one of his most impactful things he says about magic uh, building is that it isn't the cool parts of the magic that work. It's the limitations, the weaknesses, and the costs that really drive how a magic system functions in the world. As cool as it is that Gandalf can come in at any point in time and just shine a bright light and everyone's at peace, it's even cooler when you have a character who is only capable of pushing things away from them and they have to figure out how they can use that in in a fight. Now, those are two different Magic systems both are dependent on your narrative. One is a soft magic system, meaning that it's very like a wizard did it. And then you have a hard magic system where you have costs and et cetera. I think limiting functions of your world building and having to figure out how to to survive with those limitations, regardless if it's magic or world building or whatever, makes for a better story. Well, I think that wraps us up pretty good even though we could talk forever. My question for our listeners this week is, what is your favorite world building tool? World building is not limited to fantasy and sci-fi. Those of you who are writing historical or even contemporary romance still have to world build your city, your town. So you can have an answer for this too. And I would love to hear it. Yes, it would be excellent. Don't forget, we now have a Patreon. The link will be in the show notes. And if you join our Patreon for as little as $1 a month, you will get our weekly updates, more thoughts on the previous episode. And at higher levels, you'll get to join in on our live stream book club. You'll get to help us pick future book clubs and you'll get extra special bonus episodes as we create them. So give us a check out. And thank you so much. See you later. How many ways can we deliver stories? You know we're cutting your Australian. <laughs> I don't know which one that was. I started with Scottish, then moved to. It was like it was far closer to Australian than anything. <laughs>
it kind of flowed. It's an accent. Maybe it's right. from a different world. 